Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Welcome, everybody. So I was gone last week, and I realized just how much I miss everyone so much. <laughs> it's good to be back. Um, and it still feels funny being up on here. I remember uh, what Yogananda used to say to his teacher was, I am less than the dust on the bottom of your sweet lotus feet. So I'll say that to all of you, my teachers and gurus. <laughs> um, so today we're going to talk about the trap of aggressive happiness or being aggressively happy. How many of you get a sense to what I mean by being aggressively happy? Maybe you've run into somebody or seen that come up with yourself. I think I've been there before. Um, I wrote a definition. I, I actually couldn't find a definition of aggressively happy. So I wrote one down. Aggressive happiness is a state of mind where a person is using spiritual concepts to sidestep reality due to an inability to effectively cope with life's unpleasant aspects. And so many, many, of, this, uh, many of the reasons why someone can become aggressively happy, at least how we're going to talk about it today, is this misinterpretation of spiritual concepts. And usually when it's just hanging out in the mind and hasn't been experienced yet, so it can be um, confused. So we're going to talk about uh, what actually is aggressive happiness, how it can appear in our spiritual path, and how we can move into a state of balance. Because we do want happiness, just not aggressive happiness, right? So we want, we want balance. So the first thing I want to talk about is the difference between optimism and aggressive happiness. Because this is what most people will say is that I'm, very, I'm an optimist. Or I'm a very positive person. Right? So what is the difference between optimism and being aggressively happy? <clears throat> the difference is, is that we're missing a step with aggressive happiness. What I mean by that is when a situation arises, let's say it's a, it's a I don't want to use the word even negative situation, but a difficult situation, an unpleasant situation, right? So this is happening, it's real, it's there. And an aggressive, happy, uh, ag aggressive, happy um, response to that would be to skip being with the negative aspects or the unpleasant, challenging aspects and skipping right to the, hey, let's get over it and be positive. Right? So we could look at this if we have a friend who is is um, going through a challenging time. Right? Let's say they just suffered a great loss, for example. You wouldn't walk up to them and just say, get over it. You know, oh, get over that. You know, time to be positive if they just lost a loved one, right? Of course, after the healing process, after sufficient amount of time, mourning, yes, then we could have... Uh, this healthy choice of optimism, 
right? There's a healthy optimism that we can cultivate. And we need to use the wisdom to know the difference of when we're trying to run away for some, uh, away from something that we're not comfortable with, right? as opposed to making a conscious choice into positivity. So missing this crucial step of actually being with something. This is the main the main difference between optimism and being aggressively happy. And we're going to go through how this arises. So this is going to be a theme throughout. But how this arises with these common misunderstandings. Uh, I think that we're going to go over some of the, the common aspects of spiritualism that are misconstrued. But also, as far as our personality goes... Um, And I think this, I could say this because it's happened to me. One of the things that, <laughs> that I have found when I move into a state of, of it, it's a state of aversion, this aggressive happiness, like I can't handle this. And it's, it's a state of laziness. It's being lazy, saying, oh, I could supersede uh, this difficult emotion by resting in awareness or you know, using these spiritual, we call it a spiritual workaround. Right? Oh, we're just we're going to go over here because we know we're greater than that. We could rest in this awareness, or we can move into another state of non-judgmental awareness. We're going to go through these things, right? So really, we're just not able to handle what is. We're not able to really handle what is. So just a few things that are often misconstrued is uh, positive affirmations, right? So, and this kind of ties into what we talked about before, this law of attraction, positive um, affirmations, to this thought of you know, what we think we become. And if you change your thoughts, you change your life. You know, all of this you can be true, but there's this the great quote, uh, God grant me the serenity to accept things that I cannot change, the, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So this serenity, serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Right? So even though we can have a very positive mind, we're, we're not able to change everything because we live in an interdependent uh, world, existence. If it was... If it was uh, the case that we could change everything just by positive affirmations, per se, then I think that every saint and sage would have already done that. I mean, all the Buddhists are saying, you know, for the benefit of all beings, may all beings be happy, may all beings be enlightened, right? But you look at the life of these amazing enlightened beings, and it's obvious that they could not change everything, right? I'm sure. Christ's life didn't play out exactly as planned, maybe, I don't know, but Buddha, all of them, severe challenges, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, look at Mother Teresa, right? All the things that they had to deal with, yeah? All the pristine minds. So it's this ability to actually be with, again, what is arising. Now, this is an... Uh, 
a, a feature, a quality of the enlightened mind is not to be able to just sidestep into faking it like everything is pleasant, but to actually be with all the things that are rising so that we can see the ultimate truth of those things. If we're not actually being with all that is arising, we cannot see the true nature of those so-called unpleasant things. We cannot be with them. And again, a misinterpretation is that an enlightened being is always happy, is never suffering. I love Byron Katie has this great story. She's traveling in Europe. She's on tour. And her, her body is going through extreme fatigue. And she says she found herself, I think in London or something like this, in the corner of her room in a ball crying. Just crying and crying. And she said, no problem. Absolutely no problem. Allowing the body to cry. Right? So this, this is an example of a being that is accepting and loving just what is. A, good, a great teacher of mine, she went on a three-month Zen retreat right after uh, signing her divorce papers. And she said she went through countless shirts that were just stained with tears, right? So the Zen retreat, there's people around her and she was just crying three months of tears. She said, I didn't wanna miss any of it. I didn't wanna miss any part of that experience, right? Did not in any way struggle against the reality of sorrow, of pain, the feeling of loss, despair, confusion, bewilderment, right? All of this is why we're here. Who knows the treasures that we might find while investigating those states of emotion? So, so with mindfulness, too, this is something else that could be confused. Mindfulness, paying attention to the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. Non-judgmentally. So when we look at a negative emotion, sometimes we could fall into a neutral observer, which we sometimes, you could use this as an instruction tool of a neutral observer. Neutral observer doesn't mean a dead observer, and it doesn't mean someone who is detached it means unattached from the outcome of this. This is meaning everything can come in and everything can go out, right? Big difference between detachment and unattachment. Unattachment says, I'll let everything in because I know it's impermanent. I'll let everything in. And non-judgment says, non-judgment that this is even a negative emotion to begin with, so there's nothing to sidestep. There's nothing to move on to. All of it is what they call one taste. One taste, all the phenomena is one taste until the conceptual mind comes in and imputes something different. So this is so we can embrace, this is so we could open, this is so we could feel, this is so we could process, this is so we can co-meditate with. Everything that is arising, everything is fuel for the practice. Right? 
As soon as we try to sidestep something, we're making a self that needs protection, right? And we're making subject and object out of what is arising. As soon as we're open and free, everything can come in and we can become everything, right? We could see the nature of that which is experiencing is the same nature of that which is being experienced. Again, if something unpleasant comes, how can we ever figure out the true nature of that something? This takes a lot of courage and trusting our own Buddha nature and the Buddha nature of all things that are arising. There is no conflict. There is no problem. The problem is how we view it. So this goes the same for the non-dual schools. The non-dual way of looking at things is that all of it is enlightenment in form. Even this state of non-enlightenment is just gross enlightenment, that we're all enlightened. All things are of the enlightened space of enlightened mind. All things are Buddha nature. Right. So again, so there's nothing that we need to contrive. So we don't have anything unpleasant coming in. We do not need to change it into like, oh, I'm, I'm happy no matter what. Like I, we don't need to change that or run away from that emotion. We just need to actually look deeper into it and to be with it more fully, more, com- more completely. So I guess another thing, this is more new age, is that there's, there's people out there that are energy suckers. I've heard these energy vampires, like that person's a, an energy vampire. You want to exclude them from your life. You don't want to be around those types of people. And I can only imagine if there's you know, a saint or something, like Alma, or the hugging saint, saying, you know, keep that negative person out of here. <laughs> They're an energy sucker. They're going to... You know, steal my happiness away. You know, imagine like a Buddha, any any saint saying, "Hey, keep keep that negative person away. I think they're gonna, you know, infect my aura with uh, negativity." But this is how we look at some peop- some uh, some individuals, and but also it's 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 a concept, and again, that there is something here to protect. Right? And there's an automatic duality, automatic good and bad manifests with that, about, with that thinking. That this is good and this is bad, that person's really negative, and I'm really super pure, and I'm, you know, I'm spiritual, so I'm very sensitive. This is another aspect, is that because I'm spiritual, I'm very sensitive, and somehow I'm less resilient. And, and this is completely counterproductive to spiritual growth. We're supposed to be more resilient. We're supposed to be more compassionate. Therefore, we should be able to be around more suffering individuals because those suffering individuals need it the most. You're never going to see a saintly being push away someone who needs help the most. Of course, they're going to go out 
go out of their way to bring those people closer. And we do this with ourselves. It becomes a war. I was reading a blog, and somebody was talking about um, somebody accused the blogger of being aggressively positive. And she said, yes, I am. But it was she took it as a compliment. She's like, every day I fight for my positivity. There's good in the world. There's bad in the world. And I fight to keep my mind positive. And... And I could see that there is some relevancy to that. Another way to look at it, though, is to trust that we already are what we're seeking. We already are the positivity. We don't need to fight. We don't need to battle. This is not going to war with ourselves and counting how many positive thoughts, how many negative. Did I have negative thoughts? Did I have a good day or bad day? Right? This could be a very troublesome way to live. We need to open and actually be with reality of what is. What is the reality of the so-called good and bad? This is where we could really find the truth. We cannot fake happiness, cannot ever find real happiness. Right? If we stay within the mind, we can never find true happiness. As long as we stay in duality, this good and bad and fighting with ourselves... True happiness can never be realized. A fake happiness can be constructed, a personality that has forced its way into a bit of positivity for a temporary amount of time, maybe. But it's much better off, we'll be much better off, and much more free if that we could allow everything to be in and be okay with that. We could allow ourselves, our suffering selves to arise and, and look at this as being precious. A dear friend in need, we could be with them and look at that as being precious. Not someone who is stealing your positivity away, but as somebody that is giving you an opportunity for compassion and empathy to arise. Right? This is definitely not a war not a battle, something that we sink into. So they say this peace and happiness is something that we innately are. So anything that we put on top of it, any time we try to contrive something, then we're actually, we're actually moving away from the direct realization of it. And I think that all of these these principles of positive affirmations that we're moving into in a positive state of mind, they all have merit, but they have merit experientially, not conceptually. This is why when we talk about mindfulness, mindfulness is not the instruction of mindfulness. Mindfulness is your experience of it. This is mindfulness. It's not something that we can construct. I took a lot of notes today, which usually messes me up more than it helps. Because <laughs> I think, what I forget? I think it's very important, as we're, we are all in mind training, we're all training our minds one way or the other. It's really important to notice all the pleasant 
and all the non-pleasant. Somebody who's lived maybe a charmed life, maybe an easy life, an easy samsara, has a hard time relating to somebody who's going through difficult times, or even relating to their own difficult emotions that are arising. And it's very important that we could actually even recognize when suffering is arising, right? Because if we can't even recognize it, then we, we can't effectively uh, process it. And if we're so stuck in maybe difficult life situations, we have a really hard time noticing pleasant situations. We have a really hard time noticing pleasant situations if we're around uh, unpleasant situations and we're training our minds that maybe life is unpleasant or we're training our minds that life is pleasant. And what is life? Life is pleasant and unpleasant. Right? It's both of them. And then there is some part of us that can embrace all of that. So there's also this consciousness, this awareness that is looking at. So it's all of it. Right? One thing that we don't like to think about in, in Buddhism, they really speak on this a lot, is death and impermanence. Right? So death and impermanence is a reality. This is an example. Right? It's an unpleasant yeah. So if we ignore, let's say, impermanence, death and impermanence, what happens when death happens? What, how do we feel? If we're not prepared. You know, I was just speaking with a longtime Buddhist uh, that had just lost her husband. And she was talking to a non-Buddhist, and he said, does Buddhism help you with, with this loss? And she says, it does, just because I have prepared myself by meditating on death and impermanence. I knew that this was a reality, that this could happen. And so this softened the blow because I already was prepared for death of myself, of my loved ones. I was already prepared because I meditated on it. It's a reality. And the person that, he, that she was speaking to looked at her like she was crazy. He's like, why would you ever want to think about that? Mm. She says, because of where I'm at right now. <laughs> because it happened. And she says, I don't know what I would do without my practice. I don't know where I would be right now if I didn't have that practice. If it just come upon me like I thought my husband was going to live forever and now he's gone. Now he's dead. Could not imagine how I would feel, she said, you know. And this is the lazy part that I see within myself. I don't want to deal with that right now. I could be happy. You know, I could fake myself into happiness right now. I don't need to deal with that right now. Right? It definitely will catch up with us in the long run, right? We all know it. If we, <laughs> if we don't allow things to actually be processed when they're arising. One of the most important reasons why we do not want to fall into the trap of aggressive happiness 
is because it steals away our ability for compassion. And this is very, very important. If we don't know how to deal with suffering, then <clears throat> we cannot effectively be close to others that are suffering. We want to push them away. The great story of Anam Dumpton, the great um, Tibetan Lama. And actually another Lama was retelling the story of how they were in a session with him. And a woman was telling him about her suffering. Makes me want to cry just thinking of it. But, and she was bipolar, and she was really scared that she was never going to be well. The Western medicine was fairly non-effective for her. And so <clears throat> after a few words, he invited her to come up to him. And he looked at her, and he says, your pain is mine. And they said it was so beautiful, so simple. Your pain is mine. And we're all interconnected. We, have to, we can never lose this knowledge of our interconnectedness. And he said, you know, how, how do you feel after that exchange? You know, she was there and she says, well, you know, you made me feel love, but <clears throat> that love is, is you. You know, talking to Anand Dupton, he says, no, that love is you. <laughs> Just like her pain is his and his love is hers. So aggressively happy states <clears throat> that I cannot feel your pain. I do not want to feel your pain. Right? Your pain can affect me in a way that is harming to me. So this creates a fear-based reaction to suffering. And of course, we need to use our wisdom here if, some, if a situation is abusive, the situation is consistently negative, we have to use our wisdom. But this is healthy optimism. This is healthy self-love. This is healthy happiness, right? Is to know that difference. Aggressive happiness is at the very start of it. It's saying, no, I can't deal with that. So it's much like an irritation in meditation. We say, if you, need dis if you have a, a discomfort, a pain, an itch, or something like this, before you move, before you need to move into aversion, sit with it for a moment. See what you can learn from it. Do you really need to scratch that itch right now in this moment? In this moment? How about this moment? Right, learn from it. And then you can make a conscious decision. So not, not just a knee-jerk reaction. I've used this in arguments before. If somebody's arguing at me. I would just be with it and see how long I can really embrace all of the emotion, all of the anger arising, the frustration, 
whatever it is, see how long I can be with it. And then maybe I need to walk away. Maybe I need to communicate something else. But when, when do, have I had enough? How much learning can I have from, from this, right? I've seen my teachers can sit infinitely with a suffering being. They never, it could just be infinite. They could sit and talk with a very annoying person for so long. It's amazing, an amazing skill and just shed compassion. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.